0: Hello and welcome to this ACE OncoCast. This week's podcast is entitled Evidence-Based Clinical Practice, Timing of Immunotherapy in Renal Tumors, When and How. My name is Rob Coleman and I'm a medical oncologist at the University of Sheffield, United Kingdom. I'm delighted to be joined today by two leading experts in the field, Dr. Manuela Schmidinger from the University of Vienna in Austria, and Dr. Bernard Escudier from Gustave Roussy in Villejuif, France. Welcome to both of you. In today's ACE Oncocast, our clinical experts will be discussing the latest evidence on adjuvant treatment options in patients with renal cell carcinoma. I would like to focus first on adjuvant treatment strategies for patients at high risk of recurrence and try to see if there's a consensus on who should be considered for adjuvant systemic treatment and subject to obviously regulatory approvals and funding, whether the evidence base is now sufficient to recommend an immune checkpoint inhibitor in the adjuvant setting. Manuela, can I start with you by asking you to firstly describe the natural history and risk factors for recurrence that could potentially be used to select patients for adjuvant therapy.
1: Absolutely. So uh, we know, and this is something that we have learned from other tumors as well, that of course the size of the tumor matters. Um, the, the, The T size as well, the pathological size, the fact whether or not lymph nodes are involved, the local regional lymph nodes. And in kidney cancer, even more important maybe is the fact whether necrosis is uh, in the tumor. So if the tumor had grown very fast, usually there is um, hypoxia in the tissue and the tumor would get uh, more areas uh, with necrotic tissue. And this is a bad prognostic sign. Also, if the tumor has sarcomatoid differentiation, this would be a sign of a very aggressive underlying biology, and finally the Fulman grade or the dif- differentiation grade makes, uh, makes a lot of, of, of weight here, uh, and this is how we would define the, the risk of a patient to relapse within the next three, five, or ten years. But we have also learned uh, that for kidney cancer, uh, sometimes it's possible that patients develop very late metastasis. They are different in terms of the biology. So if metastasis occur after, let's say, seven or 10 years after surgery of the primary tumour, usually the biology is a little bit less aggressive than, in, of course, in patients where the metastasis appear earlier.
0: Thank you. Bernard, over recent years, we've seen either negative or inconsistent results with interferon, cytokines, vaccines, and multiple tyrosine kinase kinase inhibitors in the adjuvant setting. Could you provide the viewers with a brief overview of these various strategies with a particular focus on the TKIs in the adjuvant setting?
2: Yes, thank you, Rob, with pleasure. I just want to add to Manuela's comments that uh, Probably well, the biology is important here, and we have genomic classifications that we probably should use in the future. And we have, as an example, described with Brian Rene, a gene signature that I hope we will use in the future, which adds some information for high-risk disease. So whatever, we know that some patients have a high-risk, a high chance to, to relapse, and we want to do something for this patient. We have tried a lot of things in the past. We have tried radiotherapy, we have tried cytokines, and we have tried TKIs. Overall, almost everything has been uh, unsuccessful, which means that we have not been able to improve survival. And except for one trial, which was the s track trial, we have, been able, we have been unable neither to improve disease-free survival. So overall, I would say we don't have any treatment. We have shown improvement in the risk of relapse uh, in the uh, in, uh, which is reflected by our guidelines in Europe, which, which says we have no treatment to propose to patients with high disease.
0: So, Manuela, a few months ago, the results of the Keynote 564 study were presented and, and published. Could you describe the design of this study, uh, the patient population included, and the treatment regimen that was tested?
1: So yeah, this, this was a randomized trial comparing a three-weekly pembrolizumab but a dose of 200 milligram flat dose versus placebo for a treatment period of um, around one year. And patients with clear cell histology were included and the patient population were uh, considered high risk or eligible for the study if they had either. And this is a, a, two differences to the former trials. One is that um They also included a patient population uh, with PT2 tumors, so not too too big tumors and uh, and zero tumors if they had a grade four differentiation, so completely undifferentiated. And uh, another difference to prior studies was that patients were also eligible if they had resected oligometastatic disease um, within um, one year um, from surgery of the primary tumor. And otherwise, the classical um, adjuvant patient population was included as in the other trials. So these were patients with PT3 tumors of any G, any grade, and 0 or PT4 tumors. And of course, uh, those patients who had any uh, size of the primary tumor but uh, lymph node involvement. And this is the patient population that were included. So the main difference to s for example, to the trial on sonitinib versus placebo was to include patients with resected metastasis uh, in a situation of no evidence of disease after resection, and also to include patients with smaller tumors, but uh, G4 and sarcomatoid differentiation. And with that, um, the trial really covered well what we would define as clinicians, as patients having um, high risk of relapse.
0: Thank you, Manuel. Um, And what were the efficacy results?
1: So the primary endpoint of the trial was disease-free survival, which was clearly superior for pembrolizumab when compared to placebo with a hazard ratio of 0.68. The median disease-free survival in both arms had not been reached yet at the, at the time when the trial was re, uh, reported. When the results were reported, the median follow-up is 24 months only. What also was observed is a um, quite early separation of the curve, and the 12 months uh, rate of uh, disease-free survival was 85% or almost 86%, actually, um, for pembrolizumab patients when compared to 76% for placebo patients. Interesting, though, was also um, the figure of uh, overall survival, the hazard ratio uh, being uh, 0.5, which is Quite encouraging, but of course, much too early to say anything. Whether this um, strategy will uh, will also show a survival benefit, the data are immature, uh, too early. But at least, let's say there is an encouraging first sign of a potential survival benefit.
0: And were there any subgroups that benefited more than others? You mentioned those patients with resected oligometastatic disease. Did they influence the outcome?
1: Yes, in fact, these were uh, this group comprised around 5 to 6% of the patient population and they derived indeed the largest benefit with a hazard ratio, um, much lower than for all other subgroups. And also patients who uh, had PD-L1 positive uh, tumor expression status appeared to have a slightly larger benefit when compared to the rest of the group. So these were the two main groups, let's say, where um, the results were more pronounced.
0: Thank you. And were there any new or concerning safety signals?
1: There were no new uh, or unknown, so far unknown, safety issues. Uh, around 19% of the population developed grade three or four toxicities in of arm, and this sounds maybe um, Quite a lot, but when we compare this with the data from Estrac uh, with sunitinib in the adjuvant setting, around 60% of patients developed grade three or four toxicity. So, in indirect in comparison to that, the safety profile appears really uh, acceptable, and also there was no treatment-related death.
0: Thank you, um, Bernard. What's your view on the keynote? five, six, four study results. And, and do you think this is a potentially practice changing study?
2: So one, uh, I, I think we, we should realize that there is a good rationale to use immunotherapy as a gyro-treatment. Why there was no real rationale to use uh, anti-VGF therapy as a gyro-treatment. We, we, we can get pathologic complete remission with uh, immunotherapy. So this is one of the prerequisites to use uh, uh, Adjuvant therapy with uh, with this type of, of treatment. So I think this this study has been well uh, summarized by Manuela. It's a positive study in terms of disease free survival. I think it's very encouraging. We are still waiting for mature overall survival because one of the big questions we have is: uh, Can we rescue patients by giving immunotherapy when patients relapse? and avoiding to give uh, immunotherapy to 50% of patients who don't need this uh, this treatment. And of course the signal, the, security, the safety signal was okay, but we still have some very severe toxicity with this type of therapy. It's not a large number of patients, but if you have one of your patients who get severe toxicities, and you think, okay, uh, is it possible to rescue patients by giving uh, treatment in, in, uh, when metastatic disease comes? So I think we sh- still need to have mature overall survival before saying it's going to be the treatment for all our patients with diabetes disease. But it's very encouraging. I think we're going to wait for overadjuvant therapy with immune therapy. We have a lot ongoing, actually. And it's, it's going to be probably the next treatment for our, our patients.
0: Yeah, and Bernard, just following up on that statement, I mean, there are, as you say, a number of other ongoing adjuvant studies of immune checkpoint inhibitors in the adjuvant setting. Could you summarize the more important ones and when you think we might expect results?
2: So I think we have, we have two types of, uh, of immune therapy which are ongoing actually. We have anti pdl one and um, one of the most uh, advanced uh, 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 protocol is uh, atezolizumab study, which has closed enrollment for a long period of time now. And it's a little bit, uh, I would say, I'm skeptical about the data because uh, no data coming, which is usually meaning that it's going to be a negative study. And we have also a combination study with uh, nivolumab precipitivimab, which is probably going to be more toxic, but maybe also more active. And we are waiting for these two type of study to reinforce our views that probably immunotherapy is going to become the standard of care in the near future. Should we use pembrolizumab, nivolumab, nivolumab, picipidimumab, atezolizumab? I think we know uh, probably in one to two years we'll get more data.
0: Well, thank you both for this great discussion and stay tuned for next week's episode as we discuss the first-line treatment options for patients with advanced renal cell carcinoma. <laughs>